0: Hello everyone and welcome to GivePod, Greater Vancouver's business podcast, exploring the challenges and opportunities facing our region. I'm Bridget Anderson, President and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. October is Small Business Month and our episodes of the podcast this month are brought to you by our pillar partner, RBC. Today we are joined by a small business that did the ultimate pivot during the pandemic. They went from pillows to PPE. Here to tell us more about that journey is Jason Zanata, President and CEO of Novo Textiles. Nice to see you, Jason.
1: Nice to see you as well, Bridget. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, I say small, but it's probably more small to medium and growing and growing and growing. But the pandemic pivot wasn't the first bold move that you made as head of Novo Textiles. In 2013, you bought out your partners and you rebuilt your factory to supply online retailers. So let's start the story there.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, throughout the business's history, I've owned the company for over 20 years now and uh, just being a small to medium manufacturer in the market that we exist in, it's been critical to be able to uh, basically pick and weave through various opportunities and challenges over the years and especially being a small business, being nimble has been critical to the longevity of the business.
0: So as you were you know, shifting the model in 2013, did it go very smoothly or was there some learning along the way?
1: It's always learning, always learning. <laughs> uh, it's been 20 years of learnings to become an overnight success here in the PPE world, for sure.
0: Isn't that true? I mean, people look yeah. at uh, companies like yours and think it's been immediate success, but it's been a long yeah, journey.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's like I said, it's been 20 years. Learnings is a nicer word than saying failures, but 20 years of learnings uh, uh, to get to this point has been, you know, like this. It's been like getting an MBA in the real world here, um, just picking and weaving through. We we really uh, got strong in online and drop shipping to a variety of national online retailers. So, uh over the years we we became dropship uh suppliers to costco walmart sleep country etc across the country and even into the us for a variety of bedding and textile products and so we really got a strong knowledge base in importing a blend of importing manufacturing and dropship so even though a small to medium business we were, were doing more than just one one uh thing right so and and that was important as a as a the size that we are so
0: What would you say was the biggest learning um, in that chapter of the business?
1: Yeah, I just think, again, being nimble and the taking advantage of technology. So at the time, a lot of my competitors and colleagues and even customers were hesitant and not sold on this coming e-commerce, what they described as a fad. And and looking, they looked at it as a challenge or something to be scared of, and I think it's proven time and time and again uh, that to look at challenges as opportunities. Same with the pandemic, uh, you know, moving into PPE, it was it's been a huge challenge for a lot of businesses. It was a huge challenge for Novo. A lot of our customer base dried up overnight. And again, instead of looking at it as a headwind or a challenge, we had to look at it. Okay, where's there's got to be an opportunity here somewhere.
0: So yeah, let's pick up the story there. Um, I started at the Board of Trade four months before the pandemic, and so when okay. March of 2020 hit, you know that was the word that was top of my mind. Besides crisis and oh God, what's going to happen? I mean, it really was pivot, pivot, pivot. And so that word might be a little overused, but you know, talk to me about what happened in your mind when you saw the pandemic coming. You know, whether that was February or, or March of 2020.
1: Yeah, I'm a bit of a news junkie, I'll admit. So I spend probably an unhealthy amount of time on Twitter, and I had started seeing reports of uh, this mystery virus popping up in China as far back as November, uh, December. And I have uh, some close contacts in China. I've been to China probably over a dozen times over the years on sourcing missions. I've had custom machines built there. So I reached out to some of my contacts there, and this was around Christmas time. And basically I was getting sometime no response, which out of China is even more worrisome than a response sometimes. And in other, in other instances, it was, uh, Hey, you should buy a mask machine, things like that. And I was like, what, what are they talking about? Why should I buy a mask Mm -hmm. machine? And then looking into it more, uh, closely, just as cases started to mount, uh, and business started to dry up as fears grew in the West here. Uh, basically I was on a trip back from Texas, uh, on a, related to my pet bed business at the time and uh, one of our largest customers just basically put all their orders on indefinite cancel. So we were faced with having to lay off the entire staff and indefinitely close the business. And so we immediately reached out and got my hands on Canada's first mask making machine at the time. And uh, the supplier in China that was manufacturing these machines had told me it was going to be a six month lead time to get this machine that there was a hundred other machines in front of mine on order already and i thought oh my gosh something's going on uh this is going to be a big serious problem if all these people are scrambling to get machines so i paid him a premium and got my order to the front of the line and had it on a plane that friday and uh we we had the machine in coquitlam bc here operating over a week before pm trudeau did his call to action for manufacturers to switch to ppe we were already making masks in coquitlam
0: so back, I mean, if I remember correctly, and um, geez, you know, the last two and a half years, it's it's hard. Time has been pretty fluid over COVID, but you know, if I remember back to those early days, it was really hard to find masks. And the ones that you found, there were a lot of cloth ones, and then there seemed to be a shortage of masks. And then there seems to be there seemed to be some sort of uh, regulatory hurdles in trying to get some of these masks to market. I mean, how did you wade through all of that?
1: Yeah, I think we just leaned on 20 years of learnings and contacts that we had nationally, both provincially and nationally, um, and really remembered some key learnings in dealing with retailers and even government orders that even though it took a bit longer, we really invested heavily in lab testing and certifications in early days. Uh, And although uh, we were in the mask, and remain in the mask manufacturing space, my belief is that uh, to be in this space long-term, we have to produce a top quality product and a medical grade product. We never chased that fabric mask, uh, you know, mm-hmm. for, the, for the general consumer. We never even bothered to get into that because, it, you know, it was obvious the minute the restrictions would be lifted, that business evaporated pretty quickly. Right. So, so how did
0: you get those early contracts, though? That Did that like take some relationship building in a time where you were really scrambling, I think, to probably get first to market?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think because there was such a shortage that those orders came to us, right? So uh, and, you know, and, and out of that, we've proven ourselves time and time again as a dependable supplier and dependable manufacturer. And we've continually scaled our production over the last two and a half years. So we've developed some, some awesome relationships and procurement departments across the country.
0: Did you have any kind of support through programs or learning that really helped you accelerate your business?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, about a month before the pandemic hit, uh, or the first cases popped up here in BC, uh, Novo and myself, we went through the Border Trade's tap program, and I can't say enough actually about that program. Some of the contacts that I made in it, and some of the key learnings—just things that high-level seem obvious, but having to go through the process and discuss it—you're like, "Oh yeah, I haven't—I've ignored that part of my business for a while. I need to really look at that." And although we had completed the program on a textile recycling um, concept that I came up with. A month later, the world changed, the pandemic came, but we were very much able to apply a lot of those great concepts that came out of tap uh, to our pivot into the PPE manufacturing space. And yeah, I recommend it to a lot of my business-owning peers and stuff that they should look into the program because it, it honestly it was awesome.
0: Yeah, it's a really great hands-on practical program that you can put into action really quickly.
1: Yep, 100% agreed, agreed.
0: So with restrictions lifting now and you know I, I think we are still in a covid situation maybe more endemic than pandemic. I'm no medical expert but you can see that you know people aren't wearing masks as much you right. know how do you then pivot your business model now to ensure that it is a sustainable model?
1: well, I think the key to any manufacturing uh, specifically in a country or in a market like Vancouver where the industrial Overhead is so extremely high is to invest in automation and capacity. So, a lot of the early uh, wins that we had in the pandemic, I invested directly back into increased automation, robotics, and capacity so that we could compete long term. Uh, As the pandemic uh, has kind of like weaned and maybe we'll have another big surge in the fall, what's more important is that we can produce at a capacity competitively to compete with cheap imports from overseas. Uh, and also offer our customers that capacity price point, but equally important, domestic quality, uh, domestic reliable lab testing and certifications.
0: You mentioned um, the challenges involved in being a manufacturer in Greater Vancouver, uh, in British Columbia. And you know there aren't a lot of manufacturers because of some of the, the challenges we're talking about, whether it's the industrial land supply or just the cost of doing business. Um, mm-hmm. What challenges are most acute for you right now?
1: I think those are the key ones. I also think just the culture of uh, in business, it's always sexy to talk about, you know, app developers or tech or whatever. Uh, and those are great businesses too. But in Canada, we have the skills and the landmass and capabilities to make stuff here in this country. And for too long, we've just, in my opinion, shirked that responsibility overseas because it was short-term profits and short-term thinking uh and that's what got us into the pp shortage in the first place i think that you know that I, i think as a country we should be making more stuff frankly again
0: absolutely i mean and you think about the canadian brand it's highly trusted and in a time where there's a lot of challenges geopolitically canada absolutely should be making more stuff and we should be really increasing our internal trade when i when when you're speaking about the challenges, though, I mean, I also think about you as a small, medium business with inflation, perhaps uh, an impending recession, rising mm-hmm. costs and an acute labor shortage. It's it's sort of a perfect storm of all the challenges that a small and medium business can face. So how do you sleep at night?
1: <laughs> On my Novo pillows we used to make. No, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's I mean, it there's always going to be challenges. I think, you know, in 2008, there was a financial crisis and again, it was, everyone was pulling back and that was a good time to push forward into e-commerce. Uh, right now, ever, you know, we're all worried about inflation and monetary policy and all the things you mentioned uh, with labor shortages comes an incentive to look at other alternatives. So we have repetitive tasks in our factory. We make a simple product. I have um Staff that was, you know, would be open injury of doing repetitive things like taping boxes, 10,000 boxes a day, let's say. Well, there's an opportunity there to invest in an automated process for that, uh, not to reduce the staff, but to move that staff into higher value uh, space like quality controls. So we've kept all of our staff. We've just moved them into um, higher value jobs like QC uh, inspections and things like that and then the the uh, you know not low value but like the repetitive type tasks we've invested in packaging machines taping machines things like that so that uh to be, because you're right it's hard to it's hard to hire people and when you do it's expensive here you know, so
0: uh, and are you finding that you know with the the labor that you have to be more innovative and have to you know sweeten the pot to get the employees to to attract them and to actually keep them
1: 100% yeah 100% we've uh Right early on in the pandemic, we went from, even in our extended health plan, it's a cost to the business, but it's been an amazing investment. We just went from having a 50-50 split with the employees where Novo paid half and the employees paid half of our extended plan as an added benefit. Now the company pays for 100% of extended plan for the staff. Um, obviously we increased wages uh, to keep our to keep our key staff. And you know I'm pretty proud to say our core staff in the production area, Most of the ladies here have been with me over ten years plus now. Uh, My production manager is the third person I ever hired. She's been with me over twenty years now. Um, Was a good retention. Yeah, she was a refugee. For her and her family were refugees from the Bosnian War. Uh, Came to Canada, barely spoke English. Came and worked with me as a seamstress. Now she manages multi-million-dollar automated machines, a team of twenty, and she's you know runs the factory like it's her own, and she's amazing. So I always say, tough staff. It's you know. They're putting food on my table. I'm putting food on their table. We all need to work as a team. And, you know, I need to treat them exceptionally well so that they're happy to come to work every day.
0: Jason, you're clearly doing some things uh, right, more than right. I mean, you were uh, a winner of the inaugural GiveBot Business Reinvention Award um, in 2021, which congratulations. I I think, uh, you know, obviously in telling your story now, really worthy of that award so as you, you know, and you're being an overnight success in the last 20 years, I mean, who has helped you along your journey? Who Have you had mentors that have have helped you? Have you had, you know, any kind of sounding board that's really been able, that you've been able to rely on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would actually give full credit to uh, my wife in general. She's just been an incredible partner on the journey and put up with a lot of my crazy ideas over the years. Uh, and she's just a good sounding board. She's highly um Technical and detail oriented, where sometimes I'm a bit more big picture. So, between the two of us, Good we balance were yeah, very good team. Uh, Jason, she calls Jason the cowboy, and she's the one who runs the spreadsheets to see if the ideas <laughs> are actually gonna work. So, uh, so yeah, no, she's been great, and then just a strong, strong, uh, upbringing by my parents, which I'm very grateful for, you know, having them grounded me in good, like, you know, blue collar values that I grew up with. So, and just figuring it out on my own, I actually met, um dr peter leg the other day at a business event and mm-hmm. i had never met him in person but i had read his books early on in my career uh just a local business success story uh and i just thanked him for you know i never met him but i always consider him as a as somewhat of a kind of a mentor of a local successful business person so those would be examples i would give
0: well i think there's lots of people that would agree you're also a local business success story so what's the next chapter for novo then
1: yeah, uh, I, I, you know, something I'm cognizant of, and I think other manufacturers have talked about, is our aging population. So, you know, as a as a business that's currently producing in the respiratory space, I don't see that going away. But if we were to add products down the road, uh, I would look at producing healthcare and medical devices and bringing to market items that will help our aging population in the healthcare space. Uh, and now with our existing supply chains and customer networks that fits within that wheelhouse pretty nicely. Um, and and I would say that most manufacturers need to have an eye on the fact that from a labor side, we have a shrinking labor population, but mm-hmm. on a customer base, we have an increasing customer base of senior citizens that are gonna need goods, need care, need uh, more healthcare products, and what better than to supply them with domestically made stuff.
0: So knowing that uh, there are uh, quite a few challenges facing businesses right now. There's also, I think, a window of opportunity. We've got lots of new local municipal governments. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to have a new leader of the um, the NDP party um, provincially and probably some elections federally and provincially in the next year or 18 months or something like that. Um, what would be your message to government as far as, you know, helping you with your business?
1: Yeah, I, I would say provincially, I've been extremely impressed uh, from day one of the pandemic with the provincial government how open and supportive to small medium business they've been. Frankly, they they have been amazing. Um, federally, I have some different views on that. They, there's been a lot of roadblocks thrown up federally uh, in terms of regular unnecessary regulatory items where I feel like mm-hmm. as as Canada federally, we just get in our own way a lot of the times, uh, and it's just it's insane to me that federally we're still relying on imported goods when there's many other businesses like mine that popped up throughout the pandemic to make uh hand sanitizers masks uh, all of these things and then the fed goes and hands out a contract to china like internal after, trade
0: the, now, after the federal to- government mm-hmm.
1: give, they do the call to action and then they don't even buy from any of the manufacturers that pivoted right so it's little things like not little things those are major things to me that are uh, that I would remind the federal government that those that pivoted, these aren't just numbers; these are people's like livelihoods and savings that are, are you know, at risk, and these are Canadian tax-paying businesses that are going to help paying for some of those social programs, right? So, uh, you know, my message to government is support Canadian manufacturers. That's that's you know, the short short answer to my long-winded answer there. So,
0: no better message than to end the conversation on, especially during Small Business Month. Uh, Jason, thanks again for taking time
1: to speak with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Bridget.
0: And our thanks again to our pillar partner RBC for sponsoring the podcast during Small Business Month. Check back next Thursday for a new episode.